Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen and this is episode number 94 and a really interesting one featuring David Alexander, director of the Rice Space Institute in Houston, Texas. Now, David started life in Glasgow, dreaming of owning an ice cream van. And then as he grew a little bit older, he considered a career in the Merchant Navy, but realised he could get a place at university. And that opened the door for an extraordinarily successful career in the US space industry. Indeed, the Daily Mail once claimed that David is so powerful that he is actually a member of the Illuminati and is trying to control your brain from space. David shrugs off this bizarre claim with typically good Glasgow humour and as well as telling his story very well, there are lots of laughs in this episode and references to Scotland which David remains very much connected with. Recorded on the 23rd of March 2023. David Alexander, lovely to have you on the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us and where are you today? Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here, Fraser. Uh, I'm in uh, Rice University, Houston, Texas, right now. Early morning with you, afternoon here in, in Scotland. Um, as we always do with these, or with most of these uh, episodes, let's let's start at the beginning. So can you tell us a bit about where you grew up, what family life was like, and, and what originally you thought you might do with your career? Yeah, you know, um, well, I'm from Glasgow. Um, I was born and raised in Postle Park and uh, then moved to the Milton. So, um, not the most salubrious parts of Glasgow, but, um, uh, you know, but again, I was afforded a, a good education because of the Scottish system. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I actually, uh, my first my first job was in a cafe, uh, a, a dairy next to the, the my house where we'd just gone through the change and uh, from old money to the decimal oh, system. And I was good at numbers, so I was like six years old or something. And so they would oh. pay me in donuts to, to <laughs> when everybody said, what's that in old money, I could tell them. So so that was my, that, so I was really good at numbers. So I actually, so my, my goal was to work in an ice cream van. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then, and then, you know, then I, you know, then I kind of, uh, started being interested in other things, and uh, for a while I was going to. Uh, uh, my goal was to go to the Merchant Navy. Nobody in my un- my uh, family had ever gone to university, so that really wasn't in my head. But um, one of my teachers basically said, uh, "You never know; you might change your mind." And I says, "I'm not going to change my mind." So I talked to some Merchant Navy companies. Um, what co- courses should I take? To, you know, this sort of stuff. And I ended up at university. So, and that's kind of been my path, obviously, ever since. Um, so, well, so what what put you off the, the merchant navy path? It wasn't so much that it put me off because it turns out two of my nephews are now in the merchant marine actually. Right. But um, no, what put me off? What, what it wasn't what put me off. It was the fact that I kind of started to realise that university was an actual option for me. Right. Um, right. You know, I um, it was just a notion I could. Uh, you know, going to do some of the things that I was a good at at school and, and be mm. enjoyed. So, um, so yeah. No, again, it wasn't it wasn't so much a a career. It was a career choice, but it was a positive one rather than because of anything negative. Right. And, and what sort of uh, personality traits do you think you inherited from your your parents that might have helped to shape your career? Um, well, I'm I'm the oldest of six, and so there's a lot of responsibility. I, I remember I I, got, I was eight years old, and there was uh, I got up to no, all my parents were gone, or both my parents were gone, 
and uh, left a note to light the coal fire, get the kids, get the kids off to school. They were going to school and look after the others. And my mother had been taken into the hospital to give birth to my youngest sister. So, and then I look at my own son when he was eight and very responsible kid, but I would never have done that. <laughs> so it's just a different world. So I think responsibility and, you know, and again, a bit of discipline because of, you know, um, I was fortunate, of course, for for uh, having two parents. A lot of places where I grew up, it was single parent families, and that's kind of tough. And so I think having two parents and having some rules set in the house, you know, both my parents smoked and both my parents swore, but we were not allowed to do either. Um, and that kind of that's I've never smoked, and I I won't say I've never swore, but. Uh, so once you decided that you were going to go to university, what? Why did you decide to do physics and astronomy? What was the attraction there? Well, I was good at, actually I started to try and do astronomy and mathematics because I was really okay. good at uh, maths. Maths, sorry, I've, I've adjusted to the <laughs> um, I was very good at maths and I kind of liked astronomy. Um, and uh, But it wasn't that kind of joint pro. There was a physics and astronomy. In my day, it was called natural philosophy, actually. They changed it a couple of years after I graduated. But um, and I just picked physics because I wasn't particularly interested at the time, but it just seemed to be the natural complement to the other two things. And in the end, I ended up doing uh, astronomy and, and natural philosophy, astronomy and physics. Um, that, so that was my my bachelor's degree in the end. Uh, so, what what were you thinking then in terms of of the career that would follow? What was were you already thinking about the, the, the space to industry? Be, or? Well, to be honest, no, no, and I wouldn't have thought of space industry at all. More more to do with um, you know the science and the and the problem solving. In fact. Right. After my first year, I quit. I, I mean, this is this sounds stupid now. I'm probably not setting myself in a good light, but I decided I didn't really like astronomy, and so I got into the psychology program, which was hard to get into because it was so so much in demand. And I was still staying at home, and I, I dug a hole in my mother's backyard and burnt. I set fire to all my astronomy notes, and then then um, there was. I won't make the story too long. So then then there was something happened over the summer where. I realized that I really did want to do astronomy. So I spent mm. the rest of the summer copying all my notes again to my <laughs> classmate and I've been doing astronomy ever since. So, and, and you subsequently went on to do a PhD in relativistic cosmology. So for the, the, the lay people, just about everybody listening to this probably, could you explain what, what that means? Well, we, we like to sound fancy, but <laughs> again, actually it was mostly mathematics. So obviously relativist, we were, I was using... Um, uh, Einstein's theory of general relativity to look at um, you know some mathematical solutions of the early universe and how the early universe would evolve. Um, and I wasn't smart enough to realize that what I was actually studying was what is now called dark energy and is the big is a big theme in cosmology. You know, there was dark matter for a long time, and then it became. I was just playing with the mathematical expressions, but the idea was to just look at. Um, how can you mathematically express what happens with space time? Right, all sounds very fancy um, in that early universe. Um, and does that what does that tell us about you know uh, ultimately how does that feed into to the structure of galaxies and the structure the structure okay. of uh, uh, systems in the universe? Very theoretical, completely right. useless at the time because everybody was doing dark matter. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it and. Um, uh, I was again. There had nobody had done cosmology uh, at Glasgow prior to then. Now there's a big cosmology group actually, um, and so I just picked my advisor to be the guy who taught us the relativity class. And he was he he turns out he was a solar physicist in this past life, 
which is what I am now. So it was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, mirror mirror reflection. But um, but yeah, it was just it was just you know, um, completely useless, but a lot of fun. Sure, it wasn't completely useless. I mean, so so what did you um, what what did you do next, David? When you when you left university and, and embarked on your career proper. Well, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I stayed in Glasgow for another five years because I got a I got a postdoc and then I got a fellowship, and then um, I'd been visiting the United States a lot. Um, you know, maybe once or twice a year, and there was um, a guy who turns out was a payload. He'd been an astronaut, uh, but he worked at Lockheed Martin, and he'd been up in space one time as a payload specialist. Took early retirement, went home to Montana. And I uh, was looking to start a research group and somehow he got my name from somebody and um, uh, I got talking to him. We had an interview, which was, is this, is this David Alexander? I went, yes. And goes, how would you like to move to Montana? So my whole job interview was, so I had the choice of moving south, you know, to, to England or making a big change and going to the, come to the United States. And, you know, I kind of resisted coming to the, you know, everybody said I would end up here, but I resisted it because, I got this free education, this great education in Scotland. I didn't want to be like, okay, thank you, see you mm. later. Because I knew if I came over here, it would be hard to come back. Mm-hmm. But I lasted about five years and then I had the option. I, I really should, I really felt I needed to, to leave just to, to expand my horizons a little bit. And um, like I said, England or the US, I figured if I was going to make a change, I'll, I'll, I'll do a big one. I mean, there's less people in the whole of Montana than in Glasgow at the time. Oh, really? And and Montana is like 187,000 oh. square miles. So I mean, it's huge. <laughs> so a little bit different environment. So how did you find that that transformation, kind of personally, just living on the other side of the world? It was actually, you know, uh, yeah. Again, I could tell lots of stories, but the bottom line was that I realised that it was me that had to make the adjustment. I, I knew somebody who had come from England who was there and and just expected everything to be the same, and it isn't. I made I made the conscious choice that I was. I was not going to sit in my room and hope that the world would come to me. And so actually I learned how to do Scottish country dancing in, uh, in Montana. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I, so I met, I started meeting with a whole bunch of people and it just made it a very enjoyable time. The, the, the work was great. I was part of a, a team that had built an instrument uh, flying on a Japanese satellite. So when I left Montana, I went to work for Lockheed. So I switched from academia to industry, but I was still a scientist working on space missions and coming up with the science and defining, um, you know, helping, helping. And we, we would try and win these competitive proposals. And for the most part, we were quite successful. So I was, a, I was in industry for seven, eight years before coming to Rice. I've been here now almost 20. So it's been a long time. Could you give us, I mean, I, I had a little snoop on your LinkedIn profile. And there's, there's quite a lot of different things that you did during that period. Could you give us a kind of a little potted history of some of the highlights? Oh, highlights are different. I mean, no, no, I, I mean, I, again, I think, I, I guess there's a phrase from Robert Burns, right? A man of parts or something. And, and I kind of enjoy, I personally enjoy all these. There's, there's, there's a lot of smart people around. They don't all have PhDs. They don't all have university degrees, but they're doing really cool stuff. And, and so I've, I've sort of taken that a bit of as a mantra in the sense that, that there are challenging problems. And I think of myself as, as essentially a problem solver, you know, with my, my background and so on. Um, and you get to meet some great people. And so I've kind of having that experience in industry where where it's a different mindset, but, but um, you know, uh, but the key thing is you're still looking to 
solve problems and then switching that to university and and then because of my maybe it goes back to my interest in psychology you know because i get to meet people um in different areas i start to you know uh well that would be an interesting idea and then i can move off and and i'm lucky i'm lucky enough to have tenure at rice and so so I've, i've got a little bit of freedom to pick my topics without you know having to worry about my future um, and that just makes it a kind of interesting. I've done things like uh, I'm on the board of directors for the Houston Spaceport, so I've worked with the Houston Spaceport, um, and particularly trying to connect them to Scotland. Um, I've uh, I've done some crazy stuff. I've been in the Daily Mail as a as a member of the Illuminati who's looking to control your brain from space, just so you know. <laughs> um, and everybody's like, "Oh my, this is terrible!" And I'm like, "You know, it's it's no big deal, right? It's fun." So yeah, so I, I kind of you know, as I said, there's a lot of really space is big. I mean, literally and and figuratively, and and the challenges that we have uh, trying to to either do science in or, or about space or to actually do what we're doing here in Houston, you know, with the human spaceflight program is get humans to the moon and Mars. It's absolutely amazing. And the people you get to meet are, are incredible. And, and uh, you know, in the, in the end, the, the challenges is really about whether you can get the funding, but the actual ideas and the discussions are, I mean, they're second to none. And so, so I kind of enjoy that. I kind of talk. I, I work with artists, for example, and I mean, it's just it's just the opportunity to meet a whole wide range of people, um, and uh, and and you know, hopefully do something with them, make something meaningful with them. So I kind of, I kind of enjoy that. So I mean, I, th- I think you've been at the, the Rice Space Institute for about twenty years. Is that is that right? I've been at Rice for almost twenty years, and I've been yeah. the director of the institute for oh, twenty twelve. So just um, almost eleven. 11 years, actually 11 years this month, yeah. So what does the role involve? And what have been some of the kind of highlights and challenges over the past 11 years in your director uh, role? So the the institutes at Rice are a little bit different. There's actually a big discussion going on right now with a whole new leadership at the university who want to really make the institutes more substantial. Right now, they're typically a faculty director, um, myself. And uh, and if you're lucky, maybe an executive director who would be a staff person. I have I have a part time executive director who came to me after 44 years of at NASA. Um, and the other institutes are like four research institutes. Um, uh, and so what we do is we try and do, make, provide opportunities for our faculty and student and the internal looking thing. And then the external thing is to try and promote what we do at Rice so the companies or NASA or so on can look and come and want to work with us. Um, and so in that role, we've sort of engaged um, not just with NASA, but with, um, you know, space agencies around the world, um, with the Houston community, you know, with, with with not just with NASA, but we've seen the growth of the spaceport. So that allows us to work with industry. Um, I just rotated off. I was the, the inaugural chair of the city's aerospace committee. Um, and so they were kind of growing those kind of connections. In fact, after our call, I'm off to their to their meeting, the first quarter meeting today. Um, and again, it's it's just about this sort of broad engagement. And 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 Rice is a I don't know how much people know about Rice. Probably not a lot, but um, you know, it's a real hidden gem because it's a private university, but it's one of the top universities in the world. And we're right here. We're not on the coast. We're not in New York or the East Coast. We're not on this California or in the West Coast. Um, and so, um, you know, we get a lot of plaudits for being rice and we're in this in space city, which has is a global energy capital the world and has the biggest medical center. So, you know, so there's a lot going on around here. 
Um, and of course, what we try and do, given my my roots, uh, we last year we signed a partnership. Um, agreement with the University of Edinburgh. And so we funded a number of joint collaborations between faculty at Edinburgh with faculty at Rice um, and across the board, music, um, arts, sciences, you know, space. So, um, you know, so again, that gives us a, we have a nice, um, we're very attractive to people because they're coming to Houston for a lot of different reasons. And then they see Rice as, a, as an added bonus so you know we we're just again just before <laughs> before we came on we were talking about hosting the italian uh, italian delegation next week and a french delegation in may we had 30 people from denmark and not so long. so there's just a big international draw um to commercial space and that means that they're coming to houston so and houston's a very international city so that kind of helps as well and am I right in thinking that Rice University had a, has a sort of special place in the history of the, the race to the moon and, and so on with the speech? Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we just we just celebrated uh, September 12, 2022. We celebrated the 60th anniversary of John F. Kennedy's speech where he said they were going to go to the moon before the end of the decade. He said it with his Boston accent, but um, but he said it, he, he, that was given that speech. It was the first public speech that committed the U.S. to the to the the um the space race or to the to get into the moon happened here at Rice Football Stadium, uh, American football. Um, but also uh, the Johnson Space Center, as it's now called, back in the day it was called the Manned Spacecraft Center. It came to Houston because of a couple of Rice roommates. One was a congressperson and one was a businessman. And they convinced uh, the administrator at the time, whose name was James Webb, which is what the James Webb Space Telescope is named after. Uh, and there's people in Scotland have built some of the instruments on space web or working with the data. So, so there's a lot of kind of circular connections there. Anyway. Um, so we, uh, we kind of brokered the land, um, between an energy company who couldn't give it to the government, they gave it to rice. And then we sold it, I think for $20 to NASA. And that's, that, that was the, the origins of the, uh, of the Johnson space center here in Houston. And then the growth of that whole activity here in Houston. So yeah, rice is a kind of proud, uh, um, part of that whole history. So, so you, you maybe touched on some of these issues already, David. But just in terms of looking ahead in your role as, as director, what are some of the priorities on your your agenda at the moment? Well, again, the priorities are the same as always. You know, find opportunities uh, for our faculty and students. Um, in fact, we're one of the things we did is we're, we're building our students are building a, a cubesat that was a satellite that was selected by NASA for flight. So they're doing the whole project management, they're doing the whole development, the build and everything all by themselves. I'm just here to I'm just here to shout at them to get back on schedule kind of thing. Um but that's the role and and I, I th- Rice is a Rice is an important part of the city of Houston and as I, I acknowledge that they are an important part, in other words, so they want to help the city as well. And so that's what I work a lot with, with uh, the various, uh, you know, not just with NASA, but with the spaceport and with the industry um, to, to sort of start thinking about what that vision looks like and what we can do to do it. So, of course, NASA is going back to the moon with the Artemis pro- program before going on to Mars. And so that's the big focus right now is how do we get to the moon? How do we how do we have a sustainable presence there? And, and again, that just becomes a problem solving thing. And, you know, we just had a moon to Mars conference uh, I guess Monday, 
where we were talking about, I, I, I kind of happened to do a, shared a, a discussion about international collaboration. And it's a big part of getting to space is the international connection. And, um, you know, Scotland, of course, I don't know how many of your listeners know this, but Scotland is a very, very impressive and growing space industry. And so trying to help connect them to what's going on um, as part of not the broader UK, but Scotland in particular, I think is also something that we're, we're working on. So lots of different things, international connections, opportunities for for students and faculty, research, of course, is a big deal, whether it be in astronomy, um, looking at um, exoplanets and how planets form, or um, to, you know, building, you know, we had some students design a toilet for, for space, you know, things like that. So quite quite a broad range of stuff yeah. um, is what we're trying to do. And could you give us a, a flavour of the, the kind of position of the US space industry at the moment in terms of the, the strengths, the, the opportunities that it faces? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, the US is the big, the big dog in town, right? Um, one of the interesting things, we talk about this a lot, actually, one of the interesting things in the last few, maybe even going back as much as 15 years is NASA's model of engaging with industry in particular has changed. It used to be the big contractors and you would build me this one thing and I'll take it from you and we'll use it. And we'll give you another couple of billion dollars to build a second thing. Well, now they're doing a more commercial model and what they're doing is they're going to companies and basically saying, we'll, we need what you can build, but we're going to give you money to develop that technology, but you're going to own it. And then you can, well, you know, you're going to give us like, let's say it's a, let's say it's the capsule to go to uh, the space station. You're going to guarantee us certain number of flights or a certain number of seats but when we don't need you you're free to use your your you know, you know your uh, machine to make money and so that's what's happened with, with places like blue origin and spacex although blue origin didn't take money from nasa but but um the idea is that now there's a commercial enterprise around and so that has really raised the profile all this stuff you might hear about commercial space and all these private companies and private entities it's all exciting. Right now, the the ones who are succeeding have essentially got NASA as a customer, nice. right? And what's interesting for me also is that so so the US is leading the way in the commercial side of things, but because it's commercial now, there are ideas coming across from all over the world, uh, looking now they can't necessarily right now compete with the United States, mm-hmm. but they can partner and they can develop their own niche uh, or areas that are relevant, and that's what Scotland's doing with their their focus on the the satellite build and the data using the data from satellites to learn more about our world to you know to provide services and now the potential extension to launch capability with Saxaborn, Sutherland, Macrahanish, and Western. There's, there's a bit too many spaceports in Scotland project, and and we work with Presswick, which is a is like Houston as a horizontal launch capability. So. Um, so that has basically opened up lots of different ideas. The, the idea is you use the innovation of the commercial world while maintaining, I mean, I think this is where NASA is crucial, is maintaining all the relevant safety standards so that you're not fly by night, uh, no pun intended. But but the idea is that, that you know, safety uh, is, is paramount um, bef- you know, bef- in this, this world before profit. But um, but that's engendered a whole new a new a new um, a new world for space. You know, even countries like Japan are looking at commercial activities and investing a lot of money in helping startups and 
um, Scottish Edge, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few space. I, I was a I was a semi-final judge on on the last round, and there's a few folks thinking about the whole space world too. And so, it's just really exciting to see. Some of the ideas will fail, but you know, I say I say in Houston, the mantra is failure is not an option, right? The old Apollo 13 Gene Kranz guy. Uh, in fact, I know I know Gene pretty well, but so he's you know he's he's he he's, he still doesn't take any crap, you know, like in the movie. But um, but uh, but failure has to be an option if you're going to try and innovate. And so we're Houston is kind of adjusting to that. And I think Scotland um is is sorry if I keep talking about Scotland, but it is the Scottish Business Network. But Scotland, yeah. um, I mean Scotland has a lot of pluses in that in that that category in terms of you know the the quality of the universities the the um the smallness if you like allows people to be a bit more agile as i guess their word um and be able to do a lot more things and and i think the government has been quite um supportive of a lot of these ideas and so all of that coming together really helps um them get a foothold and and they've identified a specific strength or collection of strengths that they have and I think a lot of other countries can learn from it. I was in Ecuador a month ago, and they're looking to have their own kind of space focus. And they can learn a lot from countries like uh, like Scotland and Luxembourg and places. You know. Well, certainly don't apologise for talking about Scotland, because it's great to hear that you have such strong connections still with, with the Scottish business world, uh, which was something that I was going to ask you about. I mean, you've been in the States for a long time now. So what do you, what do you miss about Scotland? Do you, come, do you return quite often? I do come oh, in the last several years because um, when I was, uh, you know, I was asked to be a global scholar and then because of the commercial uh, um, spaceport type of stuff. And then my daughter just chose to go to the University of St. Andrews over Rice. So so she's currently in Scotland finishing. This is her second semester. Um, but no, I think I think that, that when you look at what's going on, I, I sometimes joke to folks that, uh, you have to maybe t- I don't know if it's still on, so you may have to be of a certain age. But the the, the kids show the play school, and you would look on yeah. Monday. You would look through the square window, and Tuesday you would look through the arch window. I feel a bit like that uh, looking at Scotland. I mean, it's a small country, obviously, and I'm part of this big big space world over here. But when you look through the square window on the Monday, you'll see something really exciting that Scotland's doing. And if you look through the arts window on the Tuesday, you'll see something else that's exciting that Scotland's doing, even in in the world that I live in, in terms of space stuff. Um, and so it's just really exciting to see that. And 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 uh, maybe maybe the folks I'm talking to at Scottish Enterprise and the government, they may think I'm a bit too pushy, but but there's a great opportunity there, and the, and the strength of talent, and they need to bring more talent through especially from areas like the background where I came from. So I worked with the Halo Kilmarnock project, you know, the, and, uh, with uh, Marie Macklin there. Mm. And in fact, because of my, I, I'm going to boast here a little bit, but I have a good friend who, her name's Kate Rubens, who's uh, the first woman to sequence DNA in space. She took a little piece of Halo Tartan, Halo Kilmarnock Tartan up to the space station for me and we brought it back and now it's on display in Kilmarnock. So, you know, it's just these little things that get people really excited and kind of stimulate them to think bigger. And, and um, um, it's just for me, it's just a thrill, you know. Marie was a guest on the on the podcast as well. She's she, a, was, she, she is an really amazing lady, you know, amazing yeah, person. Really dynamic, yeah. Um, something we always ask in, in this, David, is if you could give one piece of advice to the young David Alexander setting off into the world, what would it be? Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, 
it's always hard to give advice, you know, in a sense, because, and it's free advice, so you're free to ignore it. But I think one of the things I've kind of regretted, and I, if, I, if, I was, if I was talking to myself and saying, make sure, I've been, I've traveled around the world for business and so on, but I've never, very seldom do I take the opportunity to see where I am, right? I spent, collectively, I spent about a year in Japan on this mission. Um, and my intention was I would always travel around Japan. I would go see the rest of Asia. Never did it. In recent years, I've been going to China a lot, but I never got to do it. So wherever you go, to my young self, take advantage. I'm mean, in Montana, right? Beautiful place. Go see it. Go take time to, to mm-hmm. you know, get out of your office and uh, go see the world. It's an amazing world. There's amazing people in it everywhere. Go see it. And you'll be amazed at how all these complaints we have about, you know, the guys from Edinburgh, Guys from guys from England, guys from America, or people from you know, we're all the same, and mm-hmm. and 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 we all enjoy you know we, we're all trying to bring up families and stuff like that. So just see the place you're in and don't you know, fence yourself off. Great advice, and we're going to finish with five quick questions here. So, oh, oh here we go. What's the first record you ever bought? Um, Breakfast in America by Supertramp. Oh, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good choice, actually. It was one of my earlier purchases yeah, as well. It's a great. I keep forgetting. I keep going back to it as well. Yeah, it's it's aged well. What's for dinner tonight? Um, well, my uh, we my wife makes us great um, salmon on kale with um, with uh, uh, sweet potatoes. I make I make the Scottish soup. She makes the salmon <laughs> with the kale. So that's what we're having tonight. Sounds good. Very healthy. Uh, where is your favourite place in the world? You don't have to ask, do you? It's Scotland, of course. <laughs> Anywhere particular? I'm not going to pick a particular football stadium because um, that just causes trouble. But um, no, no. I mean, I, I, I mean, I really like. I think Glasgow gets a bad rev, and I think Glasgow's a great town. And uh, I have a friend here who runs the Houston Spaceport, and he's a Mexican American. He loves Glasgow. He fits right, and I call him a Mexican. <laughs> he just he he just Arturo Machuca is just an amazing guy and he just fits right into the, the coach. So I think I think there's a lot to offer. Across Scotland. I've now been visiting Edinburgh a lot. Edinburgh's a great place as well. Very diplomatic answer. Uh, what is your favorite space fact? Well, this is a little bit a little bit selfish and it goes back to something you asked earlier. So it turns out and who's it, Michael Kane? Not a lot of people know this. <laughs> but um there's actually a Rice University flag on the moon. A little oh. pennant. It's, it's, it's under one of the brackets on in an instrument that was sent up, I think, on Apollo 12 or 14, one of those two. Oh. So we have a rice flag on the moon. Wow. Good one. Uh, and finally, what does your perfect weekend look like? Doing nothing. Watching the football. <laughs> watching the football. I, watch a lot, I watch a lot of football at the weekend. But actually, you know, we've got some good friends here and just being able to hang out and not think about work, I think, is as is, is good as it gets, you know. Um, it's just people again going back to enjoying time with people david it's been absolutely fascinating to to hear about your your life and career to date and good luck with the the future and thanks very much well thank you it's been great to talk to you and get to know you a little bit and um no it's you know scotland's a great place they've got a lot to offer the world and it's our job to see that happens yours too right that's why you're doing what you do absolutely thanks again great talking to you To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.